Good morning, church family. This is the reading of God's word from Jeremiah 6. This is what the Lord says. Look, an army is coming from a northern land. A great nation will be stirred up from the remote regions of the earth. They grasp, bow, and javelin. They are cruel and show no mercy. Their voice roars like the sea and they ride on horses, lined up like men in battle formation against you, daughter Zion. We have heard about it and our hands have become weak. Distress has seized us, pain like a woman in labor. Don't go out to the fields, don't walk on the road, for the enemy has a sword, terror is on every side. My dear people, dress yourselves in sackcloth and roll in the dust. Mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament, for suddenly the destroyer will come on us. Hey, good morning. Welcome to our online gathering week six. Welcome to those of you who are part of Sound City Bible Church. Welcome to those of you from Martha Lake Baptist Church as we're doing these worship gatherings in partnership together. Uh, even just getting to have our singing led by kind of both of our music directors this week as a show of that partnership. I'm so thankful for uh, the work that God is doing in and through both of our churches. And a special welcome to any of you who happen to be joining us uh, for the first time. Maybe you're scrolling through Facebook and one of your weirdo Christian friends shared this video and you're uh, interested in what we have to say, a welcome to you. Our, our sincere hope and prayer is that you would come to know that God loves you so much and that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness through his life and his death and his resurrection. And so welcome, welcome to uh, what we're doing here on this Sunday morning. And speaking of what we're doing here on this Sunday morning, uh, one thing that is very true about both Sound City Bible Church and Martha Lake Baptist Church is we really value the word of God. We really believe that this truly is God's word and that we encounter um, his truth and his presence in the pages of, of these sacred writings. And so we love to take time on Sunday mornings to dig into the scriptures and um, had some questions from people recently. And actually the questions were appropriate. They were, they were wondering, hey, are we going to begin maybe a new book of the Bible? That's something that both of our churches love to do is to tackle a book of the Bible and just go through it kind of line by line and verse by verse. And the answer is yes. Yes, soon. Um, we will have more announcements about that coming up. When this whole uh, coronavirus pandemic first uh, popped up and we knew that we weren't going to be able to gather in person for a while, uh, a group of us sat down and we kind of brainstormed on a series of topics that we thought would be really relevant to address. You know, things like, like how do we deal with chaos and, 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 and what do we do with our fear and our worry and and uh, as Pastor Jason shared last week, you know, we don't have to fear death. And, and, and today I'm going to be sharing on the theme of lament in the middle of sorrowful and difficult times. And so we're going to continue for a few more weeks going through these various topics. And then before too long, I hope to be able to announce uh, kind of more specifically what book of the Bible we're going to tackle. It's likely uh, back in the Old Testament as we just went through the New Testament book of Colossians. But all that is going to be coming up soon. We'll, we'll give you more information today. We are in Jeremiah chapter 6. I have been personally reading through the book of Jeremiah in my own uh, just kind of personal Bible reading plan. And there's some things in the book of Jeremiah, both in chapter 6 and beyond, that I hope and pray will be helpful and encouraging you today. So let's pray together, and then I'm going to share some thoughts on this subject of lament with you. God, I ask and I pray that you would help me now as I teach from your word to share only that which is truthful and that which is helpful and that which is glorifying to our Lord Jesus. 
God, even though we're separated right now, would you bind our hearts together by your Holy Spirit and around the truth of your word? And Lord, I pray that we would bring our sorrows to you today, our hardships, our suffering to you, and receive the grace that is ours in Christ Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen. Well, as many of you know, I am a father of four daughters in the home, and so we have had our fair share of weeping and crying over the years. Uh, I love all my daughters. The older two are teenagers now, and there's less of the same kind of crying that there was when they were littler, and, and even the younger ones are getting older. And and and, and just happened you know, the Monday after Easter, uh, my, 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 uh, my third oldest daughter, she just hit a wall, and she just started crying. And she was just crying, and she was just pouring out her precious heart to me and, and to my wife. And, and she was just saying, I miss my friends. I want to give people hugs. If, if you've ever met my daughter, Reagan, you know she's one of the most extroverted, loving, get-along-with-anybody type of people on planet Earth. And she was crying, I miss school. I miss the routine and the rhythm of school. And then she was really crying, I miss church on the on the heels of our of our online easter gathering uh my daughter uh was saying that you know facebook live just isn't enough by the way one of the topics i'm hoping to preach coming up in a few weeks uh or maybe next week is uh why i hate zoom a theology of embodiment <laughs> but as my daughter cried about missing on missing out on her 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 community and her people and her friends and the church uh, it just made me think about how uh, so many people are dealing with so many different sorrows and I came across a couple of articles this week. One of them was uh, uh, from the Gallup survey, the, the polling organization, and they released a report called Significant Daily Stress and Worry See Unprecedented Increases. They, they took a survey at the end of March to the beginning of April and said that 60% of Americans currently are experiencing anxiety and worry. And they said that usually that's a statistic that doesn't really move very much. Uh, this, however, is a 14% jump. Just for context, back in 2008, it says the financial crash that happened back in 2008 had a 3% jump. This is a 14% jump. And so they, they give some recommendations. Wow, a lot of people are suffering. A lot of people are dealing with anxiety. And their recommendations were, wash your hands and wear a mask. Or focus on those things that are in your control. And as important as washing your hands is, and as helpful as wearing a mask would be, it just kind of leaves you wondering, really, is that, is that all we have to offer people who are struggling with anxiety? Came across another article uh, in The Atlantic, and the author... Um, she is uh, Sri Lankan by ethnicity, and she talks about how her parents left Sri Lanka and moved to the UK after a 26-year-long civil war in Sri Lanka. And, and she talks about these long-lasting effects of, of war and this, this widespread shared grief. She talks about the, the widespread and shared grief is particularly hard because in a normal type of grief, you experience the hardship, but the rest of society kind of continues on. And while you can feel alone, there is something comforting about knowing that there is something regular to return to. But in this widespread grief where we're all experiencing this uncertainty, it can be particularly disconcerting. In this article, the author Amitha Kalaikundran, she writes, 
That kind of sorrow is unfamiliar to many people who live in peaceful places. Yet COVID-19 will leave behind a complicated form of grief that will linger potentially for many years after the immediate crisis is abated. All of this damage is occurring while people are still dying from other causes too, and when grieving people are being discouraged from even going outside, much less seeking solace from their loved ones. I know a few people who have had loved ones pass away and they don't know what to do regarding the funeral right now. Making matters worse, the current crisis has put enormous stress on the healing professions that, in normal times, help families deal with loss and bereavement. Our society is ill-prepared for the kind of grief the coronavirus is visiting upon so many people during so short a span. Summary. People are really hurting And our society, Western 21st century American society, does a terrible job of dealing with suffering and grief. So, what if God had to say about how we deal with our sorrows and our troubles? And friends, I am happy to to tell you that there is kind of a single word, a biblical word, that really encapsulates this whole idea of dealing with our grief in a God-honoring and a holistic sort of way, and it is the word lament. And the big idea of where I want to take us today is this, is that true lament is a gift from God to those who are troubled and hurting. True lament is one of God's beautiful gifts to us when we're troubled and when we're hurting. So lament, that's maybe not a word that we use all the time in our culture. So let me define lament. And there's, there's different ways of defining lament. There's a more technical sort of way. There, there is kind of a lament or a lamentation style of literature. When I'm talking about lament today, I want to simply define it this way. I want to define it as an outward expression of an inward experience of deep pain, sorrow, or loss. An outward expression of an inward experience of deep pain, sorrow, or loss. Um, a couple of other qualifiers. First one is this. In the Bible, when you see lament, it is often, not always, but often very artistic. In fact, the book of Lamentations, which is kind of a companion uh, to the book of Jeremiah, it's an acrostic poem where, where each line of the poem starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's, it's uh, a chiasm where it kind of starts one place, it peaks, and then it kind of goes backward in, in reverse order. It's this incredibly artistic and poetic and beautiful expression of sorrow. So lament is often artistic, but not always. Uh, however, even when it's not artistic, number two, it is highly expressive. And you probably heard that in our our scripture reading today. In in chapter 6, verse 26, it says, My dear people, dress yourselves in sackcloth, that's like a rough, uh, uncomfortable clothing, and roll in the dust, mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament. That's dramatic. That's not the behavior of just every day. If you walked out in your front yard and you saw your neighbor wearing, you know, a burlap bag rolling around in their flower beds, you would say, something is off here. 
So if it's not always artistic, it is always highly expressive. And let me just say, like, if you read the Bible, they're, they're tearing their clothes. They're putting ashes and dirt on their heads. And there's even places in the Bible where you see that they talk about hiring professional mourners, people who are paid to show up and start crying to get the waterworks going. And I'll just say this, friends, some of you are not expressive enough and you're too afraid of emotional expression, you would not do well in biblical times. I'm just going to say that. Number three, biblical lament is God-oriented. See, true lament is not just self-pity. It's not just putting on sackcloth and rolling around in the dirt. It says, I'm going to put on sackcloth and roll around in the dirt so that I can draw nearer to God. There is a God orientation in true lament. And then number four, I'll just, I want to make sure I put this out there when I talk about lament. It is not just a suggestion or a good idea. It is actually a commandment of God. If you see that again in, in verse 26, my dear people, Dress yourselves in sackcloth, roll in the dust, mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament. That is in the imperative case. That is not a suggestion. That is not a mere good idea. That is actually a commandment through the prophet Jeremiah to the people in this time and in this day. And so friends, I would say I could take you through dozens and dozens of passages in the Bible where lamenting is not offered as a suggestion, but when the time calls for it, it is a commandment. And so we need to be able to move past saying, well, I'm just not very in touch with my emotions. And, and it's just, you know, it's just not kind of how I was raised. And friends, we need to dive in. If, if this really is God's word, and if every word that's given to us is for our instruction and for our good, then we need to take seriously the idea of biblical lament. Now, let's try to understand it a little bit deeper level. Here's some things to think about. Now that I've defined what lament is, it's, it's, it's outward expression, it's, it's often dramatic, it's God-oriented, it's a commandment. Let's try to understand a little bit more. And I want to say five things that we can see from this passage in Jeremiah 6, as well as if you just kind of broaden your scope, like I said, I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah. And I'm just going to share with you in some broad strokes five things to help us really understand lament. Number one is this. There is a time to lament, and there is a time to refrain from lamenting. You see here in, in, in Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah... He lives and he prophesies right at the time of the exile into Babylon. For both Sound City and Martha Lake, we went through the book of Daniel. You remember that after centuries of patience from a good and loving God towards people who were violating the covenant left and right, up and down, day in and day out, God removed them from the promised land. And here in Jeremiah chapter 6, it's, it's, it's a call and a commandment to lament because judgment is coming. There are promises of, of judgment given earlier in, in chapter 6. There's wrath coming on Israel. There's disaster coming because of disobedience. And Jeremiah says, in light of this situation that we're in, something bad is about to happen. You need to lament you have been sinful and, and bad circumstances are coming. Now, friends, we 
sometimes lament when we shouldn't, and we don't lament maybe sometimes when we should. We, you know, as, as, again, like I said, as a dad of, of girls, there have been times in my house where I've had to teach my daughters, hey, this is a good thing. You need to cry. You need to lament here. And then there are other times with my daughters, hey, this is not one of those times. This is an, an overreaction. You didn't get the toy you wanted or something, you know, something spilled. And, and for my own heart, sometimes I lament when I shouldn't. Uh, you know, sometimes you, maybe you lament when you shouldn't. You're, you're weeping and you're crying and you're putting on sackcloth because your, your favorite sports team didn't, you know, didn't win the game. And, and that's just maybe not the most appropriate time for true lament, unless you're a fan of a team that passed the ball at the one-yard line instead of handing it off to be run and you lost the Super Bowl because of it, that might qualify. But other than that, nope, we're not lamenting over sports teams. How, how about a global pandemic? How about uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people uh, infected and, and dying? How about millions of people having economic disruption, even devastation. How about that? Would that seem like a good time to lament? Would that seem like a good time uh, to, to cry out to the Lord? I've had the same sort of conversation a, a number of times over the last few weeks where, where people are saying, I feel sad or I feel, oh, just over it or frustrated. And then they'll, they'll say, well, you know, other people have it worse than me. And that, and that may be true. That may be true for many of us. It's not as bad as it could be. But friends, it's bad. This is a, a, a terrible season in world history. I would argue that this is a season where we really ought to learn how, if we don't already know how, we ought to learn how and lean into the biblical practice of lament. There's a time to lament. There's a time not to lament. This sure seems like a good time to lament. Number two. It's really hard to know how to lament well. For Jeremiah, you know, he's coming to the people, and as you, you keep reading throughout the pages of Jeremiah, the, the first half of the book of Jeremiah is quite bleak. It just seems like, and actually God tells Jeremiah that he's going to do all these different things, and the people just aren't going to listen. They won't do it. They won't lament. They, they either can't do it or they won't do it, and, and they just don't do it well. And friends, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are the kind of culture that does not know how to lament well at all. For our culture, we, we do things like avoid dealing with the hardship. We can, we can drown our sorrows in enough sensory overload and social media and Netflix or, or even all the way to full escapism through sinful uh, behaviors like, like um, illicit drug use and drunkenness and pornography and things that we run to for escapism or we, or we resist it or we deny it or we just kind of put our fingers in our ears and say, what, what hardship and what, what sorrow? There, there's also something too, this is an interesting one and I don't have a ton to say on it, but it's, it's worth thinking about. For some of you, you resist the urge to lament until you, quote, understand it. And I think that is a product more of our Western rationalistic enlightenment thinking where, where everything has to have an answer. Everything has to have a logical story and an and, and answer to what's going on. And for some of you, it's like, well, I can't really grieve or process until I understand it first. I, 
earlier this year, I read through the book of Job, Job, Jeremiah, just all the real happy books of the Bible I've been reading. And in the book of Job, you get a couple of chapters of the story. You get 35 chapters of Job and his friends asking all these questions. And then God shows up at the end and he brings a response, but it is not an answer to the question that Job and his friends were asking. It's very strange to us. We, we ask these questions. Why is this happening? Why would this happen? Why did this take place? And sometimes God doesn't give us the answers that we're looking for. Sometimes there's not an answer that directly corresponds to the question. And, and meanwhile, God's inviting us to just cry and talk to him and tell him how we feel instead of either avoiding or denying or making sure we understand everything. Sometimes the answer is just to start lamenting. Number three, lament does look different for different people. I know I said that that for, for many of us, I think most of us, we're maybe not quite as expressive as we could be. And if you read through the book of Jeremiah, oh my goodness, Jeremiah sets the bar for over-the-top expressiveness. I mean, he is, he is doing some strange things. He is, he's known as the weeping prophet, but he also is, he's naked at one point. He's, he's taking underwear and hiding them in a wall. He's doing like guerrilla theater outside of the city gates. He is the, you know, top shelf example for what, you know, the, the, the bar has been set, we'll just say, by, by the prophet Jeremiah for lamentation. And, you know, throughout the pages of scripture, there's, there's weeping and crying. And in, in chapter six, you're dressing yourself in sackcloth, wearing different clothing, staying up late, different types of expressions of grief. And I want to just say, for some of you, maybe your expression of lament is not stereotypical. Maybe it is a little bit different. Maybe you're not quite on the same level with, with Jeremiah or others like, like even King David, who just are professional top-shelf lamenters. So we need to be able to give each other grace. We need to be able to give ourselves grace to lament in different sorts of ways. I'll, just, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you for me personally, last Sunday, I hit a bit of a wall myself of just sadness and sorrow. And I, I, I mentioned it last week. I'm not particularly wild about this online gathering thing. I want to hug people. I want to be in person with you. And so I took a walk and I got alone by myself and I, I got alone in nature and, and I was looking at the leaves and I was looking at uh, you know the, the, the beach and I was just thinking about how many countless centuries there have been waves just just kind of hitting against this beach and just the vastness of our world and thinking about the vastness of the universe and how God is above and beyond all of that. And it kind of brought my, pers- my, my problems into a more right perspective. And, and I got back to my car and, I, and then I cried a little bit. Not a ton, but just a little bit. And friends, I just want to give you permission. Maybe, maybe your grieving doesn't look exactly like the prophet Jeremiah. Maybe you're not pouring dust on your head. And you got to find the way that God wants you to lament and to grieve. Number four, I want to encourage you to, to use seasons of lament to check your heart. You know, Jeremiah, in, in this time, it's, it's the people of Israel are being disobedient to the covenant that God made with their forefathers. They are not following the law that was given through the prophet Moses. And Jeremiah is saying, you need to lament because your hearts are in a bad place. Now, friends, 
There are times in our lives where we need to lament because of our own sinfulness. We have been hard-hearted toward the Lord. We, like the people of Israel and the people of Judah in these pages, have been hard-hearted against the Lord. But there are other times, friends, where it's not because of something sinful necessarily that we have done, but just because we live in a fallen world. When a loved one or a relative dies, that is not because you did something sinful uh, just by default, but it is still an opportunity to check your heart. God, what do you want to teach me in this season? How do you want to grow me in this season? The the author of Hebrews tells us in, in chapter 12 that we should endure all hardship as as discipline. And that doesn't necessarily mean as correction. It means discipline, like training or formation. All of the hardships of life give us an opportunity to lament and to bring our hearts before the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to learn in this season? How do you want me to grow? Don't waste these seasons of lament. And then number five, Lament is not incompatible with joy or with hope. You know, uh, in Jeremiah, in verse 26, again, you see this. My dear people, dress yourselves in sackcloth and roll in the dust. My dear people. You know, I, I am by nature a more optimistic person. I I want to believe that things will be better in the future. I want to believe that there's going to be better days ahead of us. And I know what some of you, maybe you're kind of like me, you're you're sitting at home and you're thinking, okay, all this stuff about sorrow and sadness, but what about the hope that we have in Jesus? What about the joy that we have in Christ? And, And friends, what I am saying about lament, about true biblical lament, if it is true, then there's no way it can be incompatible with true hope and with true joy. And you know how I know this? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, Jesus is described as as being covered in the oil of God's gladness. You can see that. It's a prophetic description of Jesus. And what greater hope do we have than in the death and the resurrection of our Savior Jesus? We have hope and we have joy in Jesus, and yet Jesus knows our sorrows perfectly. In fact, he is described by another prophet, by the prophet Isaiah, as being a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53, you're, you're potentially familiar with this passage. It says that Jesus, this is, this is speaking prophetically of Jesus. We see this, these words coming true in the per- person and the work of Jesus, that, that he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Did you see how Jesus is called the man of sorrows? The man of sorrows. Yet the one who is uh, covered in the oil of gladness, the, the gladness, the joy of the Lord, and the one who gives us eternal hope through his life, death, and resurrection, yet he is known as the man of sorrows. Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows. 
And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, friends, Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring the gladness of heaven, the joy of heaven into our mess and into our sorrow. And to do so, he took upon himself the full weight of the sin and the sorrow that this world has to offer. See, see, as Christians, we believe something radical about this, this historical figure, Jesus Christ from Nazareth. See, we believe that he is God in human form. We believe that he is fully divine, 100% God, and yet at the same time, 100% human. And see, in his humanity, Jesus is imminent. That, you know that word imminent? It's imminence. It means, it means he's close. It means that he gets it. It means that he, he bears our griefs and he carries our sorrows. It means that he understands all of the hardships and the pains that we go through. And when you weep, Jesus weeps with you as the man of sorrows. And yet we also believe that Jesus is not just a human being who empathizes with us. We believe that he is God in the flesh who is transcendent. He's, he's if I could use the language of above everything. He's above all of our mess. God is, uh, the, the ancient uh, theologians use the language of impassibility. Like he's not affected by all of our hardships. And you might say, well, that sounds contradictory. No, it's not. We love these uh, truths, these biblical truths held in tension. See, in his imminence, Jesus identifies with our sorrow, and in his transcendence, he can lift us up out of our sorrow. He is, he is in the mess with us, and yet he puts our feet upon a solid rock. He, he, is, he is present with us in our hardship, and yet in Christ Jesus, we have been seated in heavenly places, and we now too can experience a taste of the eternal joy that is to come in the next age. Friends, Jesus lived and died and rose again, fully man and fully God, so that he could identify with our suffering and then lift us up. And the way that we experience that is through this idea of lamenting. There's a, there's a scholar, a theologian named Derek Rishmawe, who I, I really have um, come to appreciate his writing in, in recent months. And he says this, he says, Indeed, that is the heart of the gospel. The God who cannot suffer and die in himself, the one who is high and exalted, humbles himself. He becomes lowly taking on human flesh so that he can suffer, die, and be raised again for our salvation. It is precisely because God is above all that in himself that he can enter in to do something about all that. It is only because God is blessed in himself, the sovereign fullness of life, peace, and joy, regardless of all the vicissitudes and pains of history, that he can communicate a blessedness that overcomes and restores that history. It is not then 
God, the grand co-commiserator who gives us the freedom to cry out, but God, the rock. It's not just because Jesus suffers with us that we can cry out. It's because he is a rock. This is the God we can trust with our pain, our confusion, and grief, even when he gives no answers, precisely because he is big enough to be the only answer we need. For any of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, this idea of lament is critical. Because in lament, we cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a slave to my own passions and desires. I, I can't break free of my own misdirected heart. And yet also I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slave. I'm a sufferer in this world of, of pain and hardship. And I need rescue and redemption from myself and from this world. And Jesus in his, in, in his imminence, he enters into all that in his transcendence. He offers us salvation. And the way that you access that, friends, is by lamenting and crying out to God. And so I want to close with just three brief thoughts. First, you got to give yourself permission to lament. Like this is no mere suggestion or good idea, as I said back at the beginning. You've got to give yourself permission to lament. Number two, you've got to give other people permission to lament. Sometimes the only thing more awkward than lamenting yourself is being around somebody else who is lamenting. There's a, an ancient church father, uh, a great preacher named uh, John Chrysostom, and he said this. He said, While the tempest is still severe and a full gale of sorrow is blowing, he who exhorts another to desist from grief would only provoke him to increased lamentations, and having incurred his hatred would add fuel to the flame by such speeches being, besides being regarded himself as an unkind and foolish person. It's old-fashioned sounding language. Let me, let me paraphrase it for you. If you go to somebody who's sad and tell them to, they're there, don't be so sad, you're just going to make them more sad and you're going to incur their hatred and you're going to be thought of as an unkind and a foolish person. So not only give yourself permission to lament and grieve, give others in your life permission to lament and grieve. And then number three, continually bring your laments to God. This may not be a one and done thing. This may be an ongoing. I pray it's actually an ongoing thing for you, for me, for our churches the most wrong way to lament is to just not do it at all. On uh, There's an article, I linked to it on our website, on Christianity Today. They offer up 20 things to pray during the season. Maybe you're like, I don't even know where to start praying. Maybe there's something helpful in that article. All I know is the Lord is present with us in our hardships and our suffering. Jesus Christ himself, the man of sorrows, has borne our griefs, and he offers to be the one who lifts up our head. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to, we're going to eat of the bread and drink of the cup to celebrate his body broken and his, his blood shed. Then we're going to sing to the man of sorrows who is present with us right now in our homes, in our sorrows. Jesus, we invite you in now. I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit Bring peace and comfort. Bring freedom in our hearts to allow us to truly lament and grieve as the scriptures call us to. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hi, I'm Jamin, one of the pastors of Sound City. Today I get the pleasure of leading you through communion. I'm going to start by reading through 1 Corinthians 11, then we'll pray together. After that, the music will start, the band will play, and we'll give you some time to both reflect and pray. After that, you can partake in your elements and, and communion. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Bow your heads and pray with me. Father, we love you and praise you. We're so thankful. We're so thankful that the Lord of the universe loves and cares about us. And the Lord of the universe loves us so much, much that he sent us Jesus. Father, we take this time to remember Jesus' blood that was spilt and his body that was broken for us. That was broken for our sin. We want to reflect right now when we have times of sorrow and we turn to despair or we turn to idols instead of turning to our Heavenly Father. Please forgive us. Right now, I want to sit and reflect on the weight of that sin, the heaviness of that sin. And then also right now, Father, we want to celebrate, celebrate that that sin is forgiven and that we have your grace. And out of that grace, out of that joy, we get to turn to you next time when we have sorrow Father, we will turn to you, Father. We get to turn to you, Father, because we are forgiven. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.